Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey, my friend, and welcome to the podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, you are a new friend, and I am so happy to have you here. We are going to be talking about something that is highly prevalent and avoidable uh, and painful, and that's anxiety. And we're going to talk about a specific type of anxiety known as high-functioning anxiety. And I will talk about what that means in just a second. But first of all, anxiety is normal. So I don't want to, um, you know, make anybody feel guilty for having anxiety. It's not wrong. It's just a sense that is very painful. And it's a sense of nervousness, of unease. I know you know this already. But it's um, that sense we get this foreboding sense about something that's going to happen. And many times we are anxious in the middle of the night or the middle of the afternoon about something that might happen, but is unlikely to happen. And our brains are very creative. Our brains are very good at visualizing these things and all the ways things could go wrong. So I want to talk specifically about something called high-functioning anxiety. And it's called that because it is a state of severe anxiety, but you can't tell somebody has it for the most part because they're high-functioning. So... We don't know how many people have it, but probably millions. I know everybody I talk to, all of my clients, all of my potential clients, um, the women who come to me for free breakthrough calls, I can't think of somebody who didn't have high-functioning anxiety. And it sucks, and they want it to stop. And you may look confident on the outside, so nobody's getting you help for this, or even suggesting that you need help for this, but on the inside, you're consumed with anxiety. Your brain is constantly overthinking, overanalyzing, wondering what if, thinking about what could happen, and beating yourselves up for things that did happen. And the people who come to me for advice and for coaching, they are absolutely brilliant, awesome. They have degrees, they have talent, they have experience, they are smart, and they are suffering because of this thing that is not them, this condition. Now, our ancestors had anxiety probably, uh, but it was different. It was intermittent. Stress for them was intermittent. And part of that was because they were so physical. So in order to break the cycle of anxiety and break the cycle of stress, it is helpful to get back into your body. It's hard to do this just in your brain. You have to do something physical. And when you think about our tribal ancestors, well, they were roaming the savannah for eight hours a day. Uh, They were snuggling up and spooning to keep warm. They were having having campfires and talks with each other and maybe talking about how the hunt went, um, telling stories. There was community. We don't have this anymore. We are still having tribal brains, but we have individualistic lives. And so we don't, we sit on our asses all day. So we don't get up and walk around and break the stress cycle. And it just builds 
and builds and builds. So some of the characteristics, so I told you what's happening in the brain, but some of the characteristics, what it looks like behind the scenes is, and see if you recognize any of these in yourself, driving for perfection, even where perfection is impossible. So perfection is really possible in math, not even music. I was about to say music because there are notes, there are scales, but even then two people can play the same scales and interpret it differently. So this drive for perfection, this need to please others, this fear of pissing people off. Almost impossible to say no. Even saying no without saying no feels like it's evil or something bad is going to happen if you say no. There's this dwelling on past mistakes. Instead of just letting it go, oh, yep, that happened, oops, this dwelling on it. And it just ruminates. So that's the past. Now there's worry, which is visualization about the future, what might happen, and constantly thinking about worst case scenarios, and then trying to plan for those scenarios. And for those people who are sixes on the Enneagram, man, this is your superpower. You are really good at thinking about all the escape plans and all the things that possibly could go wrong. Now, that's a superpower, but it can also ruin your life if you don't learn to manage it. There is procrastination and then the mad scramble and the pain all along the way of the procrastination because it's not the kind of procrastination where you can just put it off and not think about it. You're thinking about it all the time even though you're not doing something about it. There's the inability to relax and enjoy the moment. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, Denise, I don't need a promotion. I just want to be able to sit on the couch at night and not think about work. And I want to be able to do that without drinking a bottle of wine. That's how hard it is to be present. This inability to turn off the brain. And let's face it, we have many, many inputs coming at us. Unlike our tribal ancestors, we've got information coming at us from every, every angle. So we are overstimulated. And this can lead to nervous habits, whether it's nail biting, hair twirling, snacking, and there is an inability to express, express emotions. So an inability to be authentic. And that's because we don't even want to let ourselves feel our emotions. And we bottle them up. And we are afraid that if we tell somebody how we feel, that they might lose confidence in us, and we might break down, and it all might just go to hell. So they're pretending which then just adds to the pain because when you're inauthentic, it doesn't feel good. And then finally, I already uh, alluded to this, but there's the increased re risk for substance abuse disorders because since we're not interrupting the anxiety with movement, we have to interrupt it with something else. And one of the remedies for this, if you go and look it up, it's not an official mental health, health disorder, but it is recognized as a general disorder that is affecting many, many people. And one of the recommendations is that you numb it with medication. Now, I have nothing against medication. What I have an issue with is medication when it's not the right solution. 
So if you're having severe nerve pain, yes, you probably need some gabapentin or you will feel like you are on fire. Um, those are my clients with MS or myself after I got hit by a car, you understand. And in the meantime, you're trying to look for other solutions. But things like antidepressants and sleep aids and Xanax, the benzos, they are meant to be temporary and then you solve the issue so you no longer need them. But the problem is they are addictive. Um, I am somebody who benefited from Xanax after my daughter was born and I had post-traumatic anxiety disorder. So I know that it works, but I also know that even though they say it's not habit-forming, it is. And even if it's psychologically habit-forming, when you uh, become afraid of sleep and afraid of your bed because you have such sleep issues, then uh, you're going to want to take something before bed, even if it's just out of habit. Okay, so, but the bigger problem with these is that not only can they cause insomnia, and if you're not sleeping, your anxiety is going to be worse, but eventually they cause dementia. It's just one of the side effects that they put on labels. So it is not the answer. Plus, it's not treating the root of the problem. Another uh, website that I saw said that they suggest therapy. Okay, so let's say you go to therapy and you figure out why you're anxious. Well, I just told you one of the reasons why you're anxious. You're not physical. You're not tribal, having social connections where you can just hug it out. Um, so you're not letting the stress out and um, you're not in community all the time and you're getting bombarded by inputs. Okay, so therapy isn't going to change any of that. And therapy might help you understand the root of your anxiety. Maybe there was something that happened in your childhood. Uh, most people I know had difficult childhoods. I mean, to some degree, right? Because we're kids. We are at the mercy of our parents. We don't have control as kids. That's, that's hard. And depending on what your teachers were like, what your parents were like, what your household was like, yeah you may have started having anxiety at a very young age. I know I did. But knowing that doesn't change the anxiety right now. So let's set those to the side. And if you are going to do therapy, please make it cognitive behavioral therapy because at least CBT will give you some techniques to do so you're not just thinking about thinking about your thinking. Okay, so other ways people try and fix this problem, this high-performing anxiety, is well-intentioned. Meditation, positive affirmations, and then things that aren't necessarily poor intentions, but they just have bad side effects, like numbing out with food and numbing out with alcohol. Um, food, obviously, uncomfortable because you're going to gain weight. Um, you're going to put extra fat on your body, extra fat on your heart, which might lead to diabetes, which leads to early death. And alcohol, of course, uh, it's going to harm you in many ways. Uh, specifically, it's going to harm your heart, your vascular system, your liver, and it's going to also make it more difficult for you to sleep. It'll make it more difficult for you to go into a deep sleep and do the detoxing you need to do because your brain is busy detoxing the alcohol. So it can't detox the normal stuff it has to do, and the heart rate has to go up. And when your heart rate goes up, you can't sleep as deeply. Okay, so those are the bad ways of trying to fix it. So a little bit more about why we have it. We are trained 
And I know all of us are, but right now I'm speaking to you women because, you know, we are the first generation that is kind of uh, autonomous, that has individualistic power. Some of our moms did, but let's just face it. The norms have changed very slowly and it's our girls, our girls who are the teenagers and who are the tweens and be below that, that are going to be able to be on more of a footing, equal footing with men. But let's face it, the power still, the power structure still lies with the men because the women are still doing more of a share of the housework, more of a share of the parenting early in life. Now, I know that's not for every family. Man, I know some men who really pull their own weight when it comes to families. But we're shifting, right? We're still in the middle of this shift. And for my generation, we were taught that we had to be good. We were taught that we had to get good grades. Whereas boys were taught more to think big, go for sports. I know I'm being very simplistic here, but women have still a brain that is wired for caretaking and being careful because we didn't have power for a very, very long time. And if we pissed off the wrong person, we could get stoned. And I don't mean the good kind of fun kind of stoned. I mean like stoned to death. So we have these brains as women that tell us things like I have to work harder. I can't make a mistake. And I have to look pretty while I'm giving the presentation. So it's a lot of pressure. And it's really hard to change that programming. And I wish that there was a college program or even a high school program, any program, elementary school would probably be even better, that would teach you how to interrupt anxiety and be truly authentic, truly confident, and be a leader who works less than 40 hours. Wouldn't that be amazing? To be a leader who works less than 40 hours is inspiring to your team and more productive than everybody else. But they don't teach that class. Not that I'm aware of. So this is where I come in. And this is where I invite people to work with me. Because I, I had to learn this the hard way. I had to learn how to work less than 40 hours and be extremely authentic and successful and inspirational. And I did it because I broke my back when I was 22. So I did not have the capacity to overwork. Now, this is not to say that I didn't have anxiety. Oh my gosh, uh, I'm 22 and I feel like I'm 82 and I don't know where my life is going to go and what I'm going to be capable of doing. But what I did know was I was not capable of working as much as everybody else. And I did not have the capacity to fake it. Faking it takes a lot of energy. So I didn't go around talking about my injuries all the time, but I didn't fake good. If I didn't know something, I admitted it. I asked questions. I was genuinely curious. Uh, I had boundaries. I had to go to the doctor twice a week. I had to go get lots of x-rays and MRIs and things like that. There was no choice. It was not a, oh, I'll just postpone that treatment. I'll just postpone that injection into my back. No, but we do that all the time with major things, major and minor, our annual physical, our colonoscopy. I remember one gentleman that was coaching, lovely man, I convinced him he was way overdue for his uh, physical. He went in 
he had no idea there was history of diabetes in his family. Nobody told him. His blood sugar was so high that they said his blood, they couldn't even take it. They couldn't even get it in the syringe. It was so thick and goopy and syrupy. He was just days away from a heart attack. And he caught it because he went to his frickin' physical. So I did not have that problem because I had uh, I had a broken back. So I don't want you to have to have a serious accident to figure out how to reduce this anxiety. But here is what I hear commonly from the people who come to me for help. They'll say things like, Denise, I cannot shut off my brain. I feel broken. I can't focus. I'm mean to my family because I can't hold it together at the end of the workday. And I just want to be able to sit on the couch with my husband and not think about work. And then one, one, one woman told me I would trade everything for peace. So it turns out she didn't have to trade everything. She just had to follow the recipe that I created over years of my own experience of noticing, hey, I'm doing things differently and I'm still getting promotions and raises while other people are working a lot more hours than me. So I had that, but then I had all these years of observing what other people did and how people overworked but weren't as productive as I was. And then I started coaching people. And then I started learning about the brain and I started refining this recipe over time. And you've heard it, but I'm, I'm gonna give you the details again. But this recipe works for everyone, but only people that are so tired of their suffering that they're willing to try something new, with close guidance, of course. And one reason this recipe works is that it changes you from the inside out. So if you have high-performing anxiety and somebody gives you a technique outside in, a technique for um, managing your time, okay? You are not going to say no to a request. You are not going to prioritize uh, something that somebody asks for over what your boss is asking for. You're just not going to do it because you're so filled with, guide, with anxiety from the inside out that this outside-in approach will not stick. It's like you're baking a cake and you crack eggs on top of the baked cake. Baked cake. Yeah, that's part of the recipe, but it was in the wrong order. So Tony Robbins, I love what he said about this, that breakthrough, massive change depends on, first, your state, your state of being, your emotional state, your physical state. And if you are in an anxious state, you cannot absorb anything new. So you have to calm your state first, which is really tricky when you're in an anxious state. And then you have to manage the stories you tell yourself. So first is your state, next is the stories. These are the beliefs. I love the word stories. He uses the word story. And it's great because we can think about all the different books you have in your house. Some are nonfiction, some are fiction. You know, we can look at the weather, something very factual outside, right? Okay, it's raining. Two people can have very different stories about that. So one person has an executive meeting Tuesday. Another person is also presenting at that executive meeting on Tuesday. One of them could have an anxious state. One of them could have a relaxed, joyful state, excited state. One of them could have a story of, holy shit, I can't get anything wrong. If I screw this up, I'm in trouble. I'll never get promoted. 
I might get fired. I'll end up on the street. I literally had a chief marketing officer tell me, and she was so good at what she does. So good. And her boss loved her. And she had a story that if she didn't have the answer for the CEO when he asked her a question, she would end up destitute on the street. Now, she didn't know that was her story. It wasn't like frontal frontal lobe kind of thing. It was deep in her non-conscious. But when she discovered it, it was like, oh my God, this is the story that is running my behavior. And everything made sense to her. So you got to have the right story. And then once you have a state that is expansive and you have a story that is upgraded, then you can adopt a strategy. So if you're trying to learn something from books, but you have an anxious state, it's not going to work. So I give people strategies only after I create in them or help them create in themselves a peaceful, confident state and belief system that can now absorb the strategies. You know, it's like if you put the cake in a plastic pan and you put the plastic pan in the oven, it is not going to go well. You have to have a container that can hold it. But when you do that, when you have the container, you have the right ingredients, you put them in in the right order, it happens fast. Okay, as long as the temperature is right, I know I'm, I'm kind of overworking this metaphor, but it works. It doesn't take long to bake a cake. It went from mush to delicious in what, 30 minutes? I don't do a lot with the oven. <laughs> it's not my superpower, so please don't judge me. But, um, And this is good because I don't know about you, but I'm really impatient when it comes to behavior change. And I know how busy people are and I know how much time they've wasted trying to fix this. And if you don't fix this, if you don't follow the recipe, if you don't have the right container, it's not going to take 30 minutes. It's not going to take 45 minutes. It's going to take never. It's going to take infinity to get this right because it just won't work without the right system. I just had an amazing client, Melissa. I'm sure you'll meet her on one of our podcasts. So I wasn't even sure I was going to let her into my program because... She was the first frontline medical worker that I had um, asked me to coach her. And so I told her, we need to get your husband on the phone because I need to better understand what's going on here. And oh my gosh, he was so worried about her. And she convinced me that, um, that she had to fix this and that she helped me understand that even though it was a hospital and literally people are dying on her watch, that it's also a corporation. It's also a corporate environment where she has to influence executives. And she didn't necessarily want to get a promotion. She just wanted to survive. And then she wanted to start enjoying life again. And she had all the symptoms we talk about and um, wasn't sleeping. At most, she could sleep four hours, and they were very restless hours. And her husband didn't even recognize her anymore, did not recognize her as the woman he married. And he was so upset because he was so sad. He didn't know how to fix it. And he knew she's amazing, but he didn't know how to fix it. And, you know, you can understand. She's got 1,500 people at work on leave, medical leave, because they all have COVID. And then she's got half her staff that just up and quit because they can't take it anymore. Now, you don't have to quit. 
And when she filled out the Brilliant Life Assessment, it's my six-minute life assessment. If you want to do it, you can just send me an email. Um, I'll put some information in the show notes. You know how to reach me. I'm sure you do. Anyways, she filled it out and it showed just how serious her situation was. The difference between what she valued in life and her satisfaction in life was the Grand Canyon. She had nothing, on a scale of 1 to 10, she had nothing above a 3 in terms of satisfaction. Now that's, that might not even be high-performing anxiety. Uh, That's borderline depression. So she was motivated. She would listen to the recipe modules or ingredients, let's call them ingredients. She would listen to the ingredients on her commute to work and on her way back, and she changed her daily routine. She upgraded her belief very early on, and she already started feeling peace. And now she could take on the strategies that I was giving her about productivity, about speaking up, uh, about guilt, relieving guilt, relieving shame, about showing up authentically, and about managing stress. And she, we just connected, and she showed me her second brilliant life assessment, which I have people do at the end of the program. So two months in, I have them do the second one. And she went from threes in satisfaction to nines and tens. She is radiating with joy. I've never seen, well, yeah, it's actually, I was going to say I've never seen anything like it, but it's actually pretty typical that somebody goes from low to high and is radiating with joy because not only do they feel joy, but it's such a drastic change from where they were a couple months ago that they can't help but be constantly giddy because it is so dramatic. It's like if your hand's on a hot, hot burner, you take it off, and it's not just less hot, but miraculously, it feels really great. Imagine you'd probably start giggling. You'd be so happy. So some of the ingredients were, for, all, for everybody, the ingredients are that you stop faking good. And you show up authentically. And this is going to be fine because you have a natural state. You're not going to show up authentically as a basket case, as an anxious, worrying, uh, stuttering person. You're going to show up authentically confident because that's the state you're in. And then you're going to shift from trying to have all the answers to all the questions an executive will ask you or might ask you. You're going to shift from that to radical curiosity. And that will shave up to 30 hours. Up to 30 hours. This is what I've seen. Anywhere from 5 to 30 hours off your week, depending on how much you are over-preparing for executive meetings or one-on-ones or feedback sessions or performance reviews, whatever you're over-preparing for because you think you have to have all the answers. When you shift to this, not only does your anxiety drop, but your workload drops. You're going to learn some influence skills like the platinum rule and how to break through bias and that's going to make you go from out group so if you're a woman in a man's world or a man in a woman's world or you have an accent or you're uh, from a different country or you have a different skin color from the people around you when you use these strategies you become one of them instead of the other and it's not that hard And you won't be able to do it unless you have this calm, confident, curious state. But when you do that, instead of going, instead of being a stranger or a tribal enemy, you become an ally. 
And again, it doesn't take a lot to get the brain to make this switch, but you do have to be intentional about it. Because if you do it accidentally, you won't appreciate what, what just happened. And you'll go back to feeling like you're outgroup and you will act like you're in outgroup, which will then put you back in outgroup. Just because of that subtle shift you made. And then you're going to shift from overworking, from being a hamster on the wheel, to strategic laziness, which is more like a lion in the tundra. You know, I don't know if hamsters take naps, but lions, they sleep in the sun with their pride. Very cool. <laughs> they understand that if they don't rest, they don't hunt. If they don't hunt, they don't eat. If they don't eat, they die. So those are the shifts. Stop faking, show up authentically, go from expert to radical curiosity, and shift from overwork to strategic laziness. And those will only embed in you if you have a calm confident state. And if you have beliefs that allow you to use those, if you still believe that you have to have all the answers, won't work. You'll still be anxious. That's it. It's not rocket science, but it's really hard to do alone because you have so many neural pathways for the old way. And your thoughts are tied in knots, which brings us back to the whole reason we're talking about this high-performing anxiety. You can't think clearly because of the neural pathways you've laid down from the anxiety. So you need to talk to an objective person who can help you create the state and the beliefs and then help you use the strategies in a way that's going to work for your executive, for your culture and your company. Um, so you can try to do that on your own or you can call me. I'm going to again, a link in the show notes to reach out to me or to watch the masterclass that has these shifts and that goes through them in detail. So it's a matter of, do you want to fix it never or do you want to fix it soon? And if you know a woman or suspect, suspect that a woman is showing up confident, but not really feeling confident because you know she's working nights, you know she's working weekends, her work is really thorough, like 100-page slide decks that have no typos kind of thing. Um, she always has the answer to everything. So if you know somebody who might be suffering, or if you feel like you can't go on another day like this, we should have a chat, all right? And if not, please, please take care of yourself and know that the anxiety is not you. And it doesn't have to be permanent. So my friend, you deserve so much better. You deserve to save her life. I want you to have whatever you want, whether it's just being able to sit on the couch in peace with your husband and snuggle, or whether it's to have a great love life again, or to have a great relationship with your kids or to have the fit body that you used to have, or to just be able to smile in the mirror every morning, to wake up with gratitude. That is what I want for you. So you're not your anxiety. There is a fix for this. And if it's time, if you're ready, if you're ready to stop suffering and fix this, then let's have a chat. All right, thank you for listening. I love you, I appreciate you. 
and I look forward to talking with you again. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.